This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. All right. Well, hey, good to see you guys at church today. Um, great day to be in the house of the Lord and um, honored to um, speak to you today. My name is Landon. Uh, my wife Kelly and I pastor this church. We're just so grateful to get to do it. It's such an honor of our lives. We tell everybody this way, like there, there are three, there are four or five great honors of our life. You guys are fourth on the list. The first ones are Kaylin, Levi, and Bradley, then you. You're the fourth one. Uh, is we're so, so grateful for every single one of you. And if you're here for the very first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Church, say hello to those that are with us for the first time. Glad to have you at church today. There's a connection card in the worship guide you were given when you walked in the door. Just let Kelly and I know you came. We'd love to send you a letter and a card to say thank you. Thank you for being here and uh, give you some next steps should you choose to take them. Uh, And the same people that handed you that uh, worship guide will take those cards from you on your way out the door today. So sometime between now and the end of service, uh, make some time in there to, to fill that out and let us know you were here. Um, I wanna start out by saying this brand new series um, if you've been feeling, um, you know, maybe some of your thoughts uh, are wrestling with each other or feeling a little down or feel like anxious, like it's just the devil does not want you to know what you're going to learn today in the next three weeks. Because um, what you could learn uh, and what you could experience uh, will have a profound impact on your life from here on out. And so we're excited to give you this this content, but just know um, that's how the devil works. And he's a coward and he always shows up when you're alone and it's at nighttime and all that. This is how he works. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to expose him today. He's like a cockroach. You move the rock and they all scatter. So we're going to pick up a bunch of rocks today. All right. We're going we're gonna to scatter him off. And so I'll be real honest with you. Um, and I'll be very, very honest. I, I'd never expected to be the one that would break down. I never expected to be the one that would struggle uh, with mental health. That was, that was other people. Like, they were dealing with that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't need to do that. On the outside, most people didn't even know anything because on the outside, I showed up. I did what I knew how to do. I preached. I looked healthy. And my marriage with Kelly was good. And, and on the outside, everything looked exactly the same. But on the inside, it was nothing but sheer panic. And I didn't see it coming. In most years that it started, I didn't even know it was there. And all I know is that little by little, year over year, there was a little more and then a little more and, and then a little more stress and then a little more responsibility and a little more and a little more and a little more. And as we get older, thank God we get wiser, most of us. My children have told me, Dad, at church, your hair is blinding me now. That's a new thing. So they're all grounded forever for the rudeness of my hair color changing on its own. But just because we get older doesn't mean we get wiser. But for the most, most part, we get wiser. So what does that mean? That also means we just learn how to cope better. And so we may not be getting healthier, but it looks like we are. And so we have to unpack that a little bit. And so I was finding I was a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more, taking on this, taking on that. And then there was a day where I was like, maybe this is too much. 
Like may, maybe like I, something's not right. Like I'm not going into meetings like excited. I'm not I, like I'm not I'm not pressing forward like I used to. There's more stuff on autopilot than ever before. Like cruise control uh, in my marriage. Cruise control um, at at work. Lack of lack of passion. Like frustrated when I have to set the alarm because that means I have to wake up for another day. Does anybody relate to that? I thought maybe this is too much. And then there was a little more and a little more and then a little more. And then I thought, I can't continue like this. Then there was another year and a little more and a little more and a little more. And then I thought, this is going to get me if I don't do something about it. But I didn't know how to do it. And I'm going to share with you the myths that I had unintentionally believed that kept me um, from knowing what to do with it and then not really figuring it out for too many years. And then there was a little more and a little more. And then I thought, this is going to kill me if I don't get some help. And it was in that year that there was a 34-year-old pastor in California that shot himself in the head in the entrance of their church. About a 2,500-member church, he was 34 years old. No one knew, no one had a clue, never saw a counselor, never told his family, lived in darkness, lived in silence, and that scared me more than anything I had ever been scared of. Maybe the thing that scared me the most before that was Kaylin being born not breathing. That took a second to that. But it launched me into a discovery process. Is that, is that too real or do I need to put on like a fake super pastor cape for you? Is that, is that okay, like that I'm honest with you today? Because what we're gonna talk about is the number one medical issue in the United States. What we're talking about today kills more people than fentanyl has ever killed. It's the number one, look, at, look it up, it's the number one listed medical health emergency in the United States is depression and loneliness. And by, you guys know by the time the government finds it out, we've known it for 10 years. You know, it's like, so that's kind of how it goes. Like there's, there's a lot going on in people's lives. And so here I am, I needed help, and I was embarrassed. It's a type three on the Enneagram, embarrassment is the worst. It's like a cardinal sin. You fake it till you make it, and you act like an expert, whether you know what you're doing or not. Like, it's just how I was my entire life. So this was new territory for me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say, and I was embarrassed, and I was scared. I didn't know what the next steps looked like. I didn't know what the fallout of my honesty would be. And maybe some of you can relate to that. So you want to keep the charade up, hoping that you can keep some sort of control because you're wondering and you're worried what it might look like later. And outwardly, you're still showing up. You're still showing up to work. You're, you're still putting your kids in sports. You're still doing PTA, and you're still you're looking good. And, you, you, you know, the, the, the gram is looking like your kids are behaved and well-groomed, and congratulations. And, like, all of that is still going good. But inwardly, you're battering real depression or ongoing chronic anxiety, or maybe there's just too much stress. It's like, there's just too much. There's too much going on, and you just can't handle it all, and you're wondering if, if you just might snap. You're, you're wondering what you're going to do about it. You're, you might just burn out. There was another pastor that I knew of, and it, and it broke my heart that um, he took his life after I learned about uh, the gentleman in California and 
That year alone, there were six senior pastors that took their lives that I know of. I didn't know all of them personally, but there was one guy that I knew personally. And this was all before COVID. This was before we led churches through all that. And like, so this was, this was a different season of the church. And, and he was one of the guys that met with, was the first person to meet with me and Kelly and help us start our journey to getting help. He went to a, a gun range with his men's group. And he stayed a little later than everybody else to shoot off a few more rounds, one of them for him. And I, I just want you guys to know, like, our heart breaks for that. And the devil is such a coward. He's such a coward that he will come to you when you're alone in your darkest moments. He doesn't come to you like when you're at church camp. He's like, I'll let you have five days of getting sweaty and worship, whatever. But I'm going to be at home when you get back. I'll be waiting on you when you get home. You can have fun in here on, on Sundays, and but I'll be waiting on you at home. Like, it's just, it's sinister. He's, he's not a friend. He, he's not even someone you should, I mean, it's, it is a complete hatred for you and your life because you're made in the image of God whom he hates. And we play too much. My wife says that all the time. Y'all play too much. That's like one of her, you know, gangsta lady phrases, I guess she uses a lot. Y'all just be playing too much. Your life's like that because y'all just be playing too much. She uses that a lot. I said it exactly like she says it, by the way. Y'all need to know. She's not in here to defend it, so I'm just going to say it. There's, and we play too much with this stuff. We play too much with pretending we can create our own truth. We play too much. And I think we were the, you know, the hens have come to roost on this. And we, and we need to talk about it. We need to talk about what's going on inside. And so if you find yourself struggling mentally or have questions, you're not alone. You're not alone. And over the next several weeks in this series, we're going to talk about uh, anxiety, depression. Uh, we're, we're going to give you, talk about critical next steps that you need to take. And it's going to be very, very helpful to you. So don't miss any of these weeks and bring somebody with you. And we're going to talk about the, uh, what healing looks like, like what healing looks like from here. We're going to talk about a little bit today. But first, I wanted to pray a prayer over you, and it's, in, it's going to be on the screens if you want to read it with me. You don't have to close your eyes or anything like that, <laughs> but I, I want you to put your hand over your heart. I just want to pray this over you. It's in 1 Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Amen. So no matter what you're going through, he's faithful. Somebody say out loud with your own voice. Say, God is my peace. Now look at the one sitting next to you. Do the awkward church thing where they make you talk to strangers. Say, God is your peace. See, now you're friends. You're not strangers anymore. You know, I, I personally am very glad that things are improving in the church regarding the topic of mental health. I'm very glad that's happening because it's not always been that way. Even 20 years ago, science did not know even close to what it knows now about the brain. We are constantly learning, constantly growing, and it's for the better. Even the church's take on it and the understanding of the mind has been so much better. But for years, 
people said that church shouldn't talk about mental health. It was kind of this somebody else's problem thing and that you shouldn't struggle this, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't. And then we look up in the church, there's, we're, we're just full of, of, of all these you should haves. And then we, we were left with emotional deficiencies that we didn't have answers for. But man, we were good at building big buildings and having crazy good church services. And I think that even 2020, it was the great revealer. What was already there got uncovered. And a lot of you in the room came to this church after that because you realized how lonely you were. And, and you realized just how much truth you did not have. And, and, and that was unshaky. I'm so proud of you for jumping in. And now we're, we're growing and we're moving forward together. But for decades, it's been preached like, the moment you come to Jesus, he saves you. He redeems your soul. You've heard these sermons before. He's going to fill you with Holy Ghost power. He's going to work all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And all the church said, amen. We've all been, we've all heard that. And if my voice wasn't about to go out, I'd preach it like I wanted to, just for fun. But we, we say those things, but I, and I want to tell you, everything I just said is true. Everything I just said is yes and amen. He does all of those things. He forgives you, sustains you, he redeems you. He does work everything together for good, even the worst parts of your life and your history. He works together for good to those who love him and are called to his purposes. What does that mean? That means just because you come to church doesn't mean everything's working out for good for you. Love him and cooperate and submit to his purposes then everything works out for good. It's another sermon series later, but I think that we need to know, like maybe there's some stuff going on in our life because we've not fully submitted to the king. I like the, I like the savior Jesus part where I don't have to go to hell, but I don't like the king Jesus part where I have to submit. And so here we are stuck in this gap, stuck in this balance, and everything we just said is true, but Hear me out. I'm going to explain it theologically. Everything we just said is true, but it's incomplete. That verse taken out of context is incomplete. And so we, what we find is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to save you, redeem you, sustain you, but that doesn't mean I'm fixing every area of your life instantly in one altar call, in one Sunday. I've heard people say, oh, I tried the church thing before. When they say it like that and they kind of sound a little rednecky, I know they didn't really try. And so I'm like, tell me, what does try mean to you? And they're like, oh, I went to this one, then I went to that one. I went to, I, that's not trying church. That's going to Golden Corral and leaving feeling like crap. That's what that is. That is not, that is not trying church. Going through a buffet and eating all you can and meeting no one, that's not trying church. Trying churches, give God a year, stay in one place and see if you're better off in December than you were in January. And go every Sunday, be at every event, go every youth thing, put your kids in every camp, go to every, every week, go to a small group and stay connected to people. Not one person has ever been worse off in 19 years of doing this. No one's ever come back and said, uh, I want my money back. In fact, today actually is mine and Kelly's 19th ministry anniversary. This day, 19 years ago, we started ministry. So pretty fun. I've never heard of a story where someone receives Jesus and they wake up with like spiritual six-pack abs. Like, oh, I, tomorrow morning I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna fast, 
Like, I know I just got saved and like I'm still coming off of the stuff I put in my body from Saturday Saturday night, but tomorrow I'm doing a water-only fast for six months and I'm gonna connect to God. I will grow wings as an angel. No one's ever done that. It doesn't happen. No one's ever said that. What happens is we think we're gonna get this hashtag blessed once we get saved. It doesn't work that way. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're instantly made whole. So when we talk about mental health, there's a lot to talk about. And first of all, I do want to acknowledge to you that I am a pastor. I am not a doctor. I I am not a medical health professional. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. And so I'm not an expert clinically. But what I have walked through in the dozens of books read and the hundreds of hours of college courses taken and multiple hours with Christian counselors preparing for this message series to help them help us build the biblical narrative to what you're feeling and thinking. I hope that it provides some focus. So we're gonna focus on the spiritual side. And there's, so anything further, please go find that person, but we're gonna focus on the spiritual side. So let's acknowledge what mental health actually is, okay? Take, take a look on the screen. You can also follow on the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. So if you just type in Bible app on your phone, it'll come up. Uh, you can download it. It'll find our church every week. Our sermon notes are up there every single Sunday. You can save them and send them to a friend. They're also on the, the screen. Here's what mental health actually is, and most people will agree that these are the three rocks of it. Number one is the, your emotional well-being, your psychological well-being, your psyche, what's going on in here, uh, and your relational well-being, the people you're around, your, your circle of influence. So your emotions, your psyche, your psychological well-being, and your, um, your social well-being. Those are the three things that make up mental health. So we have to look at multiple areas here. But I also want to say that our mental health is not static. It does not stay the same. So it's not like there's this competition, right, where think of a bodybuilder, and they're, they're getting ready. They're working out every tiny muscle you and I didn't know existed. And then, they're, and then they get all oiled up, and then they go stand in front of everybody. I don't know. I'm not going to do it because don't, so, you know, just I don't want to hurt myself. I'm just at that stage of life. I don't want to hurt myself by flexing. You know, so it's like there's, you know, we, we strain muscles brushing teeth now. All right, so that's just kind of where we are. But they, they get all oiled up, and then they stand there in front of everybody, and they're like, I have achieved pyramid peak health. And we take that mindset into mental and emotional health, and we're like, I'm going to do these classes, I'm going to read this book, I'm going to go to this small group, and then everyone will look at my oiled emotions and mind and say they've arrived. And we stand that that is not true. There is no arrival of mental health. Mental health is a day-to-day submission to the process to hear truth, believe truth, and walk it out the right way. So there's no arrival there's no, there's no arrival date for that. There's no trophy for that. You can be healthy for a little while and then something happened in your life and then you don't feel healthy. Something traumatic can happen and then you don't feel healthy. You feel healthy for a while and then uh, someone passes away and then now you don't. You don't feel so healthy in your thoughts anymore. Something's not okay. It changes. It doesn't stay still. But our mental health does impact how we think, all of the immediate thoughts and then what is entertained and ruminated on, which then immediately determines how we act. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So your mental health determines how you handle stress, how you relate to people, how 
what kind of choices you make, how you bounce back from adversity, or how you don't bounce back. Your mental health determines how you cope, if you go to the wrong sources for comfort or you go to the right sources for comfort. It determines how you choose your friends and the quality of those friends. I've never seen a mentally healthy person hang out with really dumb, bad people for them. They make very smart choices about who are placed around them. It affects your marriage and the quality of your marriage, the closeness and the communication of your marriage. There's so many misunderstandings regarding mental health. So many misunderstandings, and a lot of people are telling you how to stay healthy in that way. And if you Google it, you're going to find some great stuff and a lot of bad stuff on what that looks like. You're going to find things taking you down the wrong path. And, and one thing I've seen in this, um, in, in this area of topic is there's two main myths. that we can, There's a bunch of them, but they all can fit in these two categories. Uh, and let me give you the first one. Two mental health myths. Myth number one, Christians shouldn't struggle with mental health. Christians shouldn't struggle with mental health. Literally heard people say that before. I heard that said when I was a kid, that because you're Christian, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, because you've been saved, you shouldn't battle anxiety or depressed or burnout. You're not surrendering to God. And if you do struggle with some of these things, then it's probably your, oh, you heard it too. Or there's some kind of sin in your life. And we know you're lying. If you get rid of that sin in your life, you're not going to be anxious. You're not going to be depressed. You'll dance around the house with a tambourine and a flag that says Jehovah written in gold glitter, speaking in tongues all day long, and your kids understand you and obey perfectly. You have enough money in your bank account. You go outside and your grass is green even though you're in a drought. God will bless you to overflowing. I feel really gross even saying these words to you. And I used to say amen to that junk before I read the Bible for myself. I want to show you that you can love Jesus and still fight depression. That you, you can faithfully read God's word and have the longest streak in your small group on the YouVersion Bible app of reading the Bible every day and still battle anxiety. You can attend church. You can sit in the front. You can tithe. And you can even serve in the two-year-old class. You're that saved you will serve in the two-year-old room. And still, the memories of your trauma and the residue it's left haunt you every day. So no wonder people who don't know Jesus are like, why would I waste my time if it's not gonna help me? I get it, I totally understand it. Because I, I, I was there. I was asking those questions while I was up here preaching to people. Like something's not right i got to figure out what's going on here. But there are some people in the Bible I want to introduce you to. And people that we look to as heroes, fathers and mothers of the faith that set us up to have moments like this together. And with all of their faith, they still had major bouts of depression, 
anxiety, worry. The first one I want to talk to you about is Elijah. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is 1 Kings 18, where the prophet Elijah is on the top of Mount Carmel, and he's battling 400 false prophets of Asherah, which was a pagan fertility goddess, and 450 prophets of Baal, which was another pagan god. And these guys are dancing around their altar, cutting themselves, bleeding everywhere, screaming and yelling. And Elijah just stood in boldness. And then one dude against a whole nation that had gone awry and a thousand prophets of pagan gods. He calls down fire. Fire blows up the altar. And he says, told you so. Your gods are fake. Mine is real. He wins the day. Everyone comes back to the Lord, surrenders to God. Israel is once gods again. And then the next moment, he goes into a cave, is so depressed, he won't eat, and asks God to kill him. You think he would have gotten on Jerusalem, Graham, and said, look what happened. Look at this boomerang of fire. Look, did you see me standing there in front of fire? Look what the Lord has done. Hashtag blessed. No, went to a cave, got one little text message from a psycho named Jezebel, and he ran into a cave and said, kill me. Something happened he didn't expect from someone he didn't expect it from that said words to him he didn't need to hear and he wanted to die. Sound familiar to anyone in the room? That was Elijah. You've never called down fire from anybody. You tried on your boss Friday. It didn't work. It's hard. What about David? King David, right? Probably the second most popular person in the Bible next to Jesus. King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. We've read that verse. He stands down the giant. He's a little kid at this point. He's got five stones and a slingshot. And there stands Goliath. If we move cubits to feet, he was nine and a half feet tall. Nine and a half feet tall, stay in front of him. And then he says, who are you to come against the enemies of the Lord? It was so not intimidating. Kills the giant. Goliath falls, the nation takes over. They're no longer being fought like that by the Philistines. They can enter the land. And then he says, why have you abandoned me? Why am I in in such despair? What about Jeremiah? The only one in the Bible who wrote an entire book about crying. It's called Lamentations. Wrote an entire book about crying. And all of the things that are going wrong, how terrible, I mean, it just, they, they call him the weeping prophet. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want that to be my legacy. Weeping prophet? No, what about strong prophet? Guapo prophet? I want to be that prophet. Not weeping prophet. But Jeremiah's a weeping prophet, wrote Lamentations. And he had amazing moments with God, but he battled loneliness, insecurity, and then he even said in the Bible, I curse the day my mother birthed me. And these are people that have set up our faith for you to find healing today. And God used them. Truth came to them. If you're finding that you're struggling with fighting monsters in your mind, the message sometimes told to us is you just need more of God. I don't know what that means. I don't know like if you just grab another box off the shelf or you look for the giant size, not the family size. I don't know. Like, it it was always confusing to me. They would get up there and say, you just need more of God. I'm like, I'm pretty much trying as hard as I'm ever going to try. I don't know what that means. Does that, that leaves me wondering, is God not upholding his end of the bargain here? 
creates all this doubt and frustration. You come to church because you know you love Jesus because you don't want to pay the debt for your own sin, which is death. So he paid it, died on the cross and paid for your sin. And you're grateful for that, but now you're struggling on the other side. And I came to tell you that, yeah, we, we want God everywhere in our lives. Amen? We want him everywhere. But you also, you, all, you might need more of God, but you also might just need more sleep and more exercise or a banana. Is that unspiritual? No. No. And I've even heard people mock that before from a platform. And I used to agree with them. I used to agree. It just left me, though, feeling completely lost. Like, what? are you feeling lonely? Because God designed us for community. Small groups are going to start in a couple of weeks, everybody, fall small groups. So be looking on the website for all of that. But we're created for community, real community, not isolated online activity and doom scrolling. You need better friends. So it, you're not in a small group, but you wonder why you feel alone, you feel disconnected. You don't have people standing by you and praying for you. And how in the world do we think we're going to stand strong against the forces of darkness that hate us when we don't have true friends with faith standing close by? We need those people. In this series, we wanna take a holistic approach. So we're gonna talk about how it's all connected. We're gonna talk about even diet, like the other day, Kelly and I went to Garcia's because we were in Seattle for a whole week and we didn't have Mexican food for five days and I was very upset. So we, we got home, we landed at 6 p.m. and went straight to Garcia's, not even joking. Bradley was in pajamas for the airplane, didn't care. Went to Garcia's with our homeless looking family. And we walk in, they know who we are. They're like, oh, yo, okay, yeah, we're fine, we're fine. Just bring the queso, bring it. And then we were fine. Right then, we felt great. That moment felt so good. About an hour later, we all wanted to die. So it's like there's things, there's things that in the moment feel great. You want to die later, but it's a death. I'll die a thousand times. So it's a, but I just, I wonder if there are some things that we are not understanding about even our everyday life, our diet. When we go to sleep, when we wake up, at what time are we not staring at blue light that affects your circadian rhythms? There's all of this, and it's not unspiritual. It's how God designed it. And if we don't know how God designed it, then how are we going to learn to work with him? So it's not unspiritual. You might need to go to a doctor. You, you might need to, to talk to somebody. You, you, and I had written here and I took it out, but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the stats if you want to after church. But men, I had all these stats in here about how much testosterone per year on percentage we lose when we turn 40. It's staggering and frightening. If you wanna know, talk to me afterwards. However, you might need to go get some levels checked. Like there are just certain things that are part of being human that we need to know, and it's not unspiritual. But it's, not all, it's also not the total answer. It's a both and. You might be having hormonal changes. You might need some deep therapy, whatever the case is. If you can't shake it, if you can't shake it, if you're struggling, it doesn't mean you're not a good Christian. It means you're human. God's not looking at you going, geez, when I created you, I really thought you'd be doing better. When you came out the assembly line, I did my best, and look what you've done with it. Has anybody ever heard these things said to you? What is wrong with you? 
I heard that a lot as a kid because I was very rowdy. I've told you guys about my whole ADHD journey. I was 98% on the hyperactivity scale, no surprise. And I got told that by every teacher. I even had one teacher stand me up on the desk and say, do not act like him. Stand up on the desk in front of everyone. And I just wonder how many things have been said to you about you that have been filters for how you have been thinking and behaving for so long and you don't even know you've been doing it. And I didn't know that I'd spent my entire life seeking approval from people I didn't need to get it from because I'd already been given it. And it was a filter for every decision, every conversation. How can I get this? How can I get this? Or you should have done this. Or what is wrong with you? And it's just, it was this overload of shame. So if you're struggling with that, it doesn't mean you're not a good Christian. It just means you're human. And people did dumb stuff in their own trauma to you. So that's myth number one. Myth number two, and I heard these words verbatim when I was leading worship at a youth conference, God doesn't care about your mental health. The youth evangelist, I was back here, and I was, I was in the lights, and I was, you know, I'm just sitting there with my Jinkos on, just my vans. I had my, my skateboard off to the, no, I didn't, but I was just sitting there, I'm leading worship, I'm like, I'm trying to get to the third heaven, and those words came out of the speakers. I couldn't believe what I heard. I couldn't believe that I heard this evangelist in the late 90s tell a room of a 1,000 teenagers, God doesn't care about your mental health. And I didn't realize how painful that was to so many people, but I also didn't realize how that got into me. And I didn't notice anything in the moment. There wasn't like this giant hammer of sadness. There wasn't like, I was just like, ooh, that sounds weird. But I didn't realize how that messed with all of my decisions. You're like, it's got this like, God's not, God's too busy. He's got bigger problems than to deal with your little brain. It's like, that's, it just blows my mind now. But not only does God care, he cares a lot. And I call it like this, this King Triton view of God where he's this angry merman with flowing locks and a trident that is ready to burn off your skin should you squirm incorrectly. And, and, it's, and it, it's this attitude of like we're afraid, like God's the CEO behind the resolute desk in the overall office and if we dare walk in, it better be for a good reason. And we, we treat, the way we see God determines how we treat ourselves a lot of times. But then I read the book of Psalms and it tells me that God absolutely does care about our mind and our emotions. It says things like, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Fear is an emotion. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted in Hebrew means one who is crumbled under the weight and doesn't know how to get out. One who is crumbling under the weight of losing that job. One who is feeling stuck in their marriage and they don't know how to have this hard conversation. One who has battled an addiction for so long they don't know what their life was like before they started. They don't even know when it did start. One who is crumbling under the, under the weight of it. And then it says he saves those who are crushed. If he didn't care, why would he save those who are broken hearted? He absolutely does care. And the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want anything else. 
The Lord cares about you. So go to the Psalms and read it and see how much he does care about you. And then we go to Psalms and we read about some people that are breaking down. There's a lot of Psalms you want on your coffee mug. Like the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's a good reminder. Praise God for that. Put it on your Yeti cup, whatever. Nobody wants the verse I'm about to read to you on their coffee mug. I'm gonna read you one that you don't ever want printed or want re-read. There was a, a psalm written by a guy named Heman. And Heman was a guy you wanted in your life. He was well-respected. People looked up to him. And here's what we know from Scripture. Look up on the screen. He was a man of great wisdom. People went to him and asked questions. He, he, was, a, he was a musician. So people were like, man, this guy just got the gifts. He's smart. He's talented. He was a committed parent. He was a good dad. And then he was the best dream teamer that ever dreamed or teamed. He was a great servant to the king. So he was, he was available, he was humble, he was a servant, he was a dedicated husband, a dedicated dad, and was full of great wisdom and could even play the guitar. And then he writes this in Psalm 88, and it's one of the only psalms in the Bible that does not have a positive ending. So let's read it, Psalm 88. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like the one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from you and from your care. That's not a verse you want on your mug or a bumper sticker. But then he gets something right. He gets something right. And I believe that what I'm about to read to you is what, he, is what you're doing right now. By being here today, and some of you knew this series was coming up and you did not want to come. Like you did not want to hear the, like you, you were, and you still came anyway. It's incredible. Keep doing that. It's incredible. That, that, that adversity quotient in you is going to grow. That's a good thing for you. That even in the struggle deep down, there is still something that's wanting to find truth and go toward light. So here's what he says in verse 13. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes from you. And then let's just stop there. That would be really good if we could. Because you're thinking, hey, I cried to you for help. I joined the dream team. I'm going to small group. I started tithing. I'm in church every time the doors are open. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Angels want me to lead worship for them. God listens to every prayer. I, like things are going well. Selah. There's no Selah. In fact, what comes next is why do you reject me then and hide your face from me? You've taken my friends, you've taken my neighbors. Darkness is my closest friend. This guy loved God. He was a man of God. And this is in the Bible, it's in Psalms. And, and honestly, I used to think, man, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. You ever said that to yourself? Like you read a verse, you're like, ah, dang it. I wish, why is that in there? Why is that in there? I, don't, I really hate that verse, God. I really wish that wasn't in there. And this is one of those, I was like, God, I wish you could have just stopped it right there. Or why did you not give him everything he was praying for? We turn it around on God at that point. And I, and I was 
realizing this today that there have been many conversations where I've been honest with God. So I just wanted to share with you, God is not afraid of your honesty. And he's not even offendable. So he's not even offended by your honesty. So I ask God all kinds of crazy questions. God is not afraid of your honesty. In fact, he, he understands you, that you may love him and question him at the same time. He understands that you may worship him and that you may hurt at the same time. He understands that you're singing, there's honey in the rock, water in the stone, and then the next day you're like, I'm gonna throw this stone at your face. There's no honey in it. Broke my tooth on this. And we take the promises of God and turn them into weapons and blame him for it. And we use our previous provision as a lie to hurt other people. You see the progression the devil wants us on. God's not afraid of your honesty. He's open. He cares. He said, darkness is my closest friend. And that's about where I was when I was breaking down. Still showing up. Still preaching. Still panicking. And everything I was preaching, I believed it. I, 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 believe, I, I believed it 100% for everyone else. And there was this struggle there. And I didn't really know how strong it was. And there was internal panicking. And it was fine on the outside. Dying on the inside. So I finally got over my pride and told a friend. Walked through this process. They got me connected to somebody. And you're like, well, Landon, well, you're a pastor. Like, really shouldn't be telling us this, man. Like, just kind of keep it surface level, all right? Let's keep it about Jesus, Landon. Like, I don't need to know you struggle too. I don't need to know you're, a, you know, I'm gonna go to a church where the pastor hasn't needed to go to counseling. I know every pastor in town, they all go to one. So you're going to be driving a while until you find one that doesn't. And if they tell you they don't, they lied. And so there's a lot, a lot there that maybe you've got to come to grips with this humility thing. I finally got over myself, called somebody, told a friend, and I was, I was worried. And I want to tell you, it's not a sign of weakness. Getting help isn't weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. Getting help isn't a sign of weakness. If your leg was broken and you just put a bunch of your kids' belts on your leg to try to heal yourself and walk around town, we would all think you're crazy. Like, go to the doctor, get a cast. But as soon as somebody needs help with the most complex supercomputer God ever created, now it's weakness? That doesn't make sense to me. So if you've been under that shame of even being open about it, shame off you in Jesus' name. So the doctor put me through a very expansive and a very expensive battery of tests. And I, I went through all kinds of stuff, had to answer tons of questions. One, one questionnaire we worked through took four hours. It was 78 pages. And I was like, I'm not living my life this way, so these 78 pages better work. And I was not very nice to him, and he was cool with it because he's professional. And so I just was going through the process. And what came out of that process, the doctors told me, you're good physically, man. Your levels are fine. Took blood, took the whole thing. Your levels are fine. I was in good shape spiritually. I was seeking God's word. I wasn't having an affair. I wasn't, I didn't have some secret addiction the visible health was confirmed by the doctors. 
But then they told me that mentally and emotionally I was running on the fumes of the fumes. I didn't know that. And that it was creating these seasons of my life. They were very unpleasant and starting to bleed onto those I loved the most. And they told me that I was so exhausted because of those previous seasons of my life, the thing that I, things that I had been subjected to and the things that were said to me about me became the filter for my in, inner dialogue and thoughts. And it was eating at me slowly. It was so slow. It was like the frog in the boiling pot of water, like thinks he's in a hot tub till he's not. And the answers given to me in that season were life-changing and life-saving, and they're some of the things that even now you are benefiting from today. And the verse that was used in that session helped me, Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your, say it out loud, with all your, and all your, and all your. They're separate things. Because we're triune beings, we're body, soul, and spirit. Body, soma, somatic stuff, that's all, God built this. You're not monkey spit, God made it on purpose. And then there's the soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions, which is usually in control, it's called social media. And then there's the spirit. There's the spirit, that's the part of you that's redeemed and can now, is now put in right relationship with God and connected to God. When the spirit's in control, our emotions and our mind take orders from it and our body takes orders from it. But when our soul is in control, now our body is subjected to the the crazy back and forth thoughts. Our body begins to suffer. My body was suffering. It was very, like I was sick all the time. I'm pretty sure like I should have bought stock and Advil, cold and sinus liquid gels. I was sick all the time. And, and there, there, it was hard for me to even get through a conversation, much less a Sunday morning. So I began to ask, was I loving God with all my heart? Yes, I wanted God. Was I loving God with all of my, with, with all of my soul? Like I was, I was submitting to the process. I wanted my emotions to change. I was giving it to God. It's like I, I believe I'm loving, I am loving God by loving, I'm giving this up. But was I, sub, was I loving God with all my mind? No. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thought. So you may have 99 great thoughts about you. You may have 99 great thoughts about your husband. But you got one really strong thought that he's a dog. That is the one driving the car. Your life, your relationships, your job, doesn't matter. It's, it's not a ratio game. It's the strength game. Which one's the strongest? I began to study in depth the physiology of the human body and the, the human brain. And a couple of years later, I have a lot that I could share with you. And one of them is the brain is actually built over time. It's growing over time. It starts to evolve. You're born, and then it starts to evolve. It starts to grow. It makes one million neurological pathway connections every second. That blows my mind. Y'all are some smart people. It's, these connections are just going and going and going. It's incredible. And, and that's why, like, we, we, we look at, we look at, I look at 16-year-old me, I'm like, what was I thinking? That was like my parents' phrase for me. What were you thinking? I'm like, uh. Anybody heard, you ever heard that, right? Like, I was a youth pastor. I had kids on a mission trip. Found one of them. Found something he shouldn't have found from someone. And I was like, what were you thinking? Uh, give that to me, boy. Like, you're not thinking. They're not thinking because their brains aren't done growing. They're not done developing. 
When they take a brand new pickup truck and take it mudding, they're not thinking. When I took the keys to a bulldozer at 15 and drove it around because the dude left the keys in it, his fault, not mine, right? No, I'm not thinking. We're not thinking. Sneak out at night, you're not thinking. Nobody's thinking. It's like, because we're, we're growing, we're developing. And then after a while, the brain starts to learn and the connections are then simplified through a process called pruning. So it's kind of like an old trail horse that goes down the same old trail all the time. And you have to intentionally get it off the trail. Levi's our nature boy, our horse kid. So uh, he wanted to go ride horses for his birthday last year. And, and I was like, fine. So I found somewhere that did trail rides in New Braunfels, and we went up there, and they, they put him on a horse called Tejas. I was like, that's awesome. Uh, mine was called Mary, and she was old, so not awesome. So I'm on Mary, the speckled white horse. She hates me. She does not want to be there. Kept trying to bite my leg. Me and Mary did not get along. Something about Mary. So I did not like her. Um, and, but Levi was on Tejas. Tejas was cool, like a three-year-old horse that's just like, like but, but he still hated the trail. He's like, this is my life. I'm only three. This is stupid. Like, what am I doing here? And so, it, like, the, the whole music in your head, dun, 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 dun. that's what you do in your thoughts all day. We just go down the same path. Well, I'm behind Levi. I'm married. Then the, the trail guide was like, hey, you're the oldest guy in the group. Can you go in the back and make sure we're all okay? I'm like, thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go stay in the back. So he goes up front, but there's like 20 horses. So the dude is way up there. And then I see Levi. He's like, and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. He has the kiker look in his eye that this is about to get real fun because all you people are so boring. You're going to stay on this stupid trail, and me and Tejas are going to go find some fun. And he did. He didn't even care what, he didn't even acknowledge me at all. He did, he's like, no, he was looking for the trail guide. Forget what dad has to think because I know dad, and he wants to do it, but he's not man enough to do it, so I'm going to do it. So Levi kicked Tejas in the legs, dis- in the stomach, disappeared for 20 minutes. And so I'm just like, dun, 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 stupid Mary. Dun, 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 dun. And then Levi comes back 20 minutes later, right before the trail ride's over. The trail guide never even knew he was gone. <laughs> Levi was so smart. He re- I still don't know to this day. I asked him where he goes. He's like, we just went and had fun. What does that mean? Where did you go? What did you do? Who did you talk to? What'd you smoke? I need to know. It's like, Dad, calm down. Like, dude, you can't run off on a borrowed horse. And I thought, I think about that every time my mind is getting in the mental rut of an old thought pattern. It takes intentionality and a little bit of adventure to fight to get out of it. But you can get out of it. Our mind gets in these mental, these mental ruts. They're, it's like these simplified thought patterns. And it's a great thing, actually, because if your thoughts are healthy, then you're more apt to think healthy thoughts. If your thoughts are not, you go down that trail. You might change your diet. You might change your exercise. You might get treatment for where your body is unhealthy. Because when your body's unhealthy, what do you do? You do. You go to a doctor. But if your mind is unhealthy, what do you do? You might go to a doctor like I did, continuing to seek the great physician, I began to honor the Sabbath more intentionally. It was something that I definitely wasn't taught. Truly rest, still a weekly decision for a productivity addict like me to put it all down, turn the phone off, and just connect with my family and with my God. But it's been totally worth it. 
I began to do more work with my hands and realized I was pretty good at tinkering with stuff. And it was pretty fun. And I began to work with my hands more. And that's where entire sermon series were born because my hands were busy, but my mind was able to rest. And I began to research a new hobby for me. It was smoking briskets. That was a good hobby that blessed a lot of people, including myself. Here's the point. I had to disconnect my mind so it could connect to God. I had to disconnect my mind so I could connect it to God. And there's one verse I wanna share with you that can start to help you disconnect your mind from the wrong thing. Look at Isaiah 26. If you want peace of mind, here's the foundation. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and whose thoughts are, say it out loud, fixed on you. Not just occasional peace when everything's going the way you want, not just momentary peace when you feel good in the moment or circumstantial peace, that's not peace anyway, but you will be kept in perfect peace. What is perfect peace? It's the Greek word shalom. It's unexplainable peace. It's like, I don't know where this is coming from, but I know I just lost my job, but I feel like God's got this. That's perfect peace. It's unexplainable peace. A lot of us, we're just not okay right now. Like we're not, we're not feeling good. We're not, this, these neural pathways have gone a negative route and we're stuck on the trail. We are old, cranky mares, unable or unwilling to move. And those thought patterns are dragging you and dragging you. Scripture says, that we have to fix our minds, to intentionally fix them. That's the Greek word samak, to fix our minds, which means to prop or rest your full weight on an object. Rest your full weight on an object. So who, who experiences perfect peace? One whose thoughts are fixed on CNN. Oh, wrong side of the aisle. Whose thoughts are fixed on Fox News. They're both getting paid millions of dollars to drag you into fear. They're the same. What, is, what you are ingesting is killing you. If, you. if you know more about Biden than you do the Bible, you're going down the wrong trail. If you know more about Hunter's escapades than you do Elijah, you're going down the wrong trail. There's something that we need to unlock. We have to disconnect our minds from what is unhelpful. That is an intentional decision. To disconnect our minds from what is not helping us. So years and years ago, I made the decision. This is part of my process. I, I deleted every social media account. And I had someone else put in the new password so I couldn't reopen it. And it's been three years now that I've not had any of it. And it was just something that I did not need. I did not need that. And we don't just fix our thoughts on what's helpful, we fix our thoughts on God. The scripture says we need to renew our mind and not be conformed to what everyone else is doing. So the craziness, the toxicity, the hatefulness, the bitterness, the negativity, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I disconnected my mind 
and I started to connect it to spiritual truth, and here was mine, Second Peter. By divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. By his divine power, God has given us how much? Everything we need for a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his glory. And so instead of saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, this is too much. This is going to kill me. I'm never going to get it all done. Nobody understands. Nobody cares. Instead, what I began to say, which I didn't want to say, I didn't want these words to come out of my mouth because my emotions were telling me it's not true. Don't say it. But what I began to say with my mouth, even though I was struggling to believe it, was God is my source of strength and I have everything I need for everything he's called me to do. And I would repeat that to myself over and over and over. And you know what it feels like? You come to church, you just yelled at your spouse in the car, you just smacked the kid and say, you better tell everybody you're blessed, get in that check-in line. You come in here and you're like, honey in the rock, water in the stone, wish I had a rock. Like you're just... You're frustrated, you're trying, but that's, you're, you're here. That's so good. Even if you're struggling to get here, you get here. And it's the same with prayer. Like it, when you're praying to God, you're not always gonna wanna pray. There's no, there's no doves in the background and sweet fingers playing in the corner for you with fog and lights and dim and candles. There's none of that. It's just you and all the dishes your kids left in the sink even though you told them to do it yesterday, your stinky dog, your dirty husband, they're all still there. You're not gonna wanna pray. You're not gonna roll over and look at your wife and remember the venom she yelled at you yesterday and go, Lord, I'm just feeling the anointing. You're gonna wake up with the same frustrations because that's called being human. But it's when we don't want to when we come to those moments that the devil's defeated. It's in that moment, that decision, when you don't want to stay married and you do, when you don't want to come to church and you do, when you don't want to have that conversation and you do, when you feel like, when you, feel like you need to run but you stay, when you don't feel like giving and you give anyway, when you don't feel like serving others and you serve anyway, it's in those moments every time the devil is given a black eye when you say, I am not going to acquiesce to his mediocrity. It's these moments of this strength that comes out of you because it's his strength in you. I began to change my thought patterns. And you know what's interesting? I was exhausted at first. Even the counselor told me like, hey, you're gonna wanna nap. Don't schedule any meetings or any preaching engagements or any staff stuff after you come here. Why don't you schedule these meetings for the afternoon because when you leave here, you're gonna need to go to sleep. He was absolutely right. It's exhausting. It was tiring. When you go off the trail with Tejas, it's, you're stepping over cactus, and you're like, you're not on a trail. You're trying to figure it out. It's easier to stay on the trail. It's easier to dunk the dunk through life. But what I noticed is it got easier. It got easier because there was a new, a new trail forged, a, be- a, a better trail a prettier trail. It wasn't easy at first. 
But the way God built my mind, it began to change. It changed the way Kelly and I had fights, but we never fight. It changed that. It changed the way I talked to my kids. It changed the way I preached. It, cha- it changed everything. It changed what we spent our money on. And my physical body even changed. Because early on, even in our church's history, church turns nine in January, which is just crazy to me. In the last decade, I would preach one service and I'd have to go lay down in the back or have someone push on my back because I felt like someone was stabbing me. And then we went to two services. That was almost the death of me. And then we did three services for a while in this venue we were in and that was rough. I didn't realize it had anything. I went to chiropractors and they popped me and go, thank you, take a million dollars now. And it just, nothing got better. Tried everything. And it's just amazing to me how our body was created by God to respond as an alert system to us that something's not okay. God built it that way to be helpful. So all of the gastrointestinal issues I had, that back problem, the chronic headaches that came through my left eyeball. It was weird, it was always my left eyeball. It felt like something was coming out of my eye. That all went away. The four medications I was on to treat the symptoms of it are gone. Haven't taken them in years. And I, our bodies respond. There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's, this, it's like textbook you kind of read. It's not like a fun read, but it is powerful, like how our body stores certain things so we can deal with it to keep you moving forward. God designed our bodies that way. Everything changed. It's time to take a step. Is you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised what tomorrow's gonna look like. Even my kids every night, I ask them, hey, what is a praise, like you got any prayer requests or praise report? Like what's going on? And they've been saying every night, we wanna pray for Mr. Morrison. Mr. Morrison is our age. And at this moment, he's dying of a brain tumor. He's on hospice right now and he's our age. Kids at home. So just imagine if you got the worst possible news tomorrow. We play too much, play too much. And we have the perfect opportunity today to take a step forward. And the devil would love nothing more than for you not to. He would love nothing more than for you to stay where you are. But Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. I don't give you all this fake junk the world gives you. What I have is better and it's real. But we gotta receive that peace. Imagine if someone's holding out to you a check to pay off your mortgage and you're like, nah, bro. I'm gonna struggle and handle this myself. You would take a step forward and go, thank you. Your life would change forever. I mean, imagine what you could do without a mortgage payment. It would, be, it would be incredible for your family. But now the stakes are so much higher even in this moment. One of the people that helped Kelly and I on this journey, one of the very first people that ever talked to us about moving forward uh, was, a, was a gentleman who talked to us about our mental health, emotional health. And, and it's very, it's just, it's hard for me to comprehend it, but he was at a, a gun range with his small group 
and he said he needed to, he just wanted to get rid of some of these other rounds before they went home. So he said, I'll, I'll meet y'all at the restaurant. Y'all go ahead. And he took his life at the gun range. Someone that personally talked to me and Kelly face to face and helped us get to where we are now got to that place. I don't know what to do with that. But I do know that what I can do right now is take a step forward and meet God. What I do know is that every day it's a decision. That, that every day I have a decision to surrender and submit or to try to be my own God. And deal with things myself and try to connect with something on my own. What I, what I do know is that he's there with perfect peace. And my yes, the embarrassment, fighting through the embarrassment, getting off that mental rut. And guess what? The, the entrance ramp to that rut is always still there, by the way. You can get back on the trail. And I have a few times. But you know how to get off it easier. You got more guts to get off of it. And I think there's some people here, you're struggling. You're on that, you're on that rumination rut. And I'm telling you right now that that verse I just read to you, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, Jesus said that right before they killed him. Right before they crucified him, he was talking to you about your peace. That even in the worst night of your life, which Jesus was having, even in the worst night of your life, you can still have perfect peace. Does that mean that there's not work to do in counseling? There's work to do there. Does that mean you might need marriage therapy? Yes, please go. Does that mean there's stuff going on in your body that you need to deal with? Yes. Does that mean we, we give up Dr. Pepper for a real doctor? Probably. We are doing things to ourselves that are not helpful. Does that mean we, we connect with our family instead of doom scrolling while, while they're around? Yeah. Today's the day you can take back your authority in Jesus' name because you have been being duped for too long. And that rut you're on is not helpful because there's peace when your marriage is struggling available to you. There's peace when you lose your job. There's peace when your kids are making decisions that are wrecking your heart. There's peace when you're hurt by those that you thought loved you the most. There's peace when money is tight. There's shalom when you don't think there should be. I just wanna pray for everybody today as we get ready to end uh, this part before we get into a time of prayer. Would everybody stand to your feet? Somebody say peace. Peace. Father, we pray by the power of your spirit that you would do a healing work. Help us, God, to fix our thoughts on you, to train our brains to be renewed with your truth. God, bring healing to those that are hurting today. Bring healing to those who walked in heavy. Bring clarity to those who walked in confused. Bring peace to those who walked in with panic. And we know the only one that can do that is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. For some of us in this room, you've not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life yet. You've not received salvation for your sin, you've not allowed him to pay that debt that's being offered to you today. And he, you're not here by accident. 
We don't believe in accidents at the purpose, church. That you are here on purpose to hear this. And that God's been calling you home for a very long time. And that he made you purposefully to do something beautiful in the earth. And today he can redeem your redeem your life and forgive your sins, past, present, and future, and put you on a pathway of purpose that you never thought you could be on. And your yesterdays will be settled in heaven and the debt paid. And you'll be able to come down later and tell a prayer partner, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord today. And they'll pray a prayer of faith with you and you'll be saved. And then the process begins, right? We're not super Christian in that moment, but that is the first step. There are some of us today, you're struggling, you're hurting. You're wondering what we do from here. And if you need a new perspective, if you need peace, if you need deliverance, if you're struggling with fearful imaginations, if you're struggling with despair, if you're struggling with worry, if you're struggling with insecurities, if you're struggling with guilt, inaccurate assumptions, or any other monster, the Lord is here to save and heal and deliver. Everybody look up at me if you're, if you're struggling with any of that, including what I talked about at the very beginning. If you've said the words that I love them so much. They would be better off if I wasn't there. That I love them so much if I wasn't in the picture, then they would be okay. If those thoughts have ever come to your mind even one time, those things only grow in the dark. And it gets to the point where you're like the people I told you about today, where it started with a thought and they dismissed it. Two thoughts, dismissed it. Years go by. They did not take that step. The people that I'm tell, I've told you about, nobody knew. They didn't tell anybody. It was such a surprise. People were confused and I just wonder how many chances like this they were given and they didn't take it or if they were ever given this chance, this opportunity to take a step forward and say, I am not okay with letting the devil win. I am also tired of not being okay and I want to start a new path of healing. So, I know this is different, and I know service started a little late, but I'm also kind of tired of being bound up in a little 72-minute service order. So if you need to go home, you're free to go. We're not going to judge you at all. But the kids' team, they're chill. They, your kids are fine. If they weren't, they'd come and got you by now. If you're struggling, this is the safest place in the world for you right now to say, I'm not okay it's okay to tell us you're not okay. I was not okay. And the day I told somebody, everything changed. Hell's back was broken. 
And you know what's scary about that moment is Kelly didn't even know. She didn't even know what I was thinking and I've been thinking it for years and it got so strong. My choice in that moment was to keep it inside or to tell somebody and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to open my mouth in that moment. But in that moment, hell's back was broken and I've never been the same. Doesn't mean life's been easy, just means I'm living in it different. If you want freedom from whatever you're going through, the things I just mentioned, any fear, unmet, unmet expectations that have got you all pent up, these, this internal dialogue that something's wrong with you or shame on you. I want you to do a very bold thing. I want you to come meet me right here, just right now. Go ahead and come down, just right now where you are in this very moment. The prayer team will be here in a minute. Come meet me right down here. Thank you, so proud of you, so proud of you. Come on, come meet me right here. Kelly, can you come join me, babe? In this moment, come on down. Prayer partners, get behind them. Any, any, anybody else? What are you, what's going on here? What's going on here? If there's not perfect peace in your heart, this is your moment to put the devil on notice. It's a perfect moment to say, I'm, I'm not okay, but I know I'll be okay because He's given me the verse we read. He's given me everything I need to move forward from here. This is the first step. It's the first step. Yeah, keep on coming. Keep on coming. If you've had, especially if you've thought that thought, that life would be better for everyone else if I wasn't in the way, come down. Come down. People are going to gather around you, pray for you, be in your corner unlike ever before. God's got your back. He's a way maker. When it looks impossible, it doesn't look impossible to him. This is your best next step. You're putting the devil on notice today. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.